0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Game of Life. Dan, who do we have on today? I'm really excited about this. Please introduce our we guest. We have
1: Damien Warren Smith on mm. the show. Mm. But I know him best as Gary Starr. Yeah. Whose show I saw three times at this year's comedy festival. Two times. And from you me. saw you saw him twice. Twice, yes. Very excited to introduce Damien onto the show. Thank, Thank you for me. being here. Oh, thanks thanks for, for having me. I'm
2: yeah. excited to finally be here.
1: Um in doing my research um, for you, I was listening to other podcasts and I found out that you started acting at the Kuma Little Theater.
2: Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I went to high school at Monero High in Kuma and I acted at that very same place. No so way. Wait, so, wait, what years were you at Monero? Uh, from years. Oh, so, my. When did I finish? High? I finished high school about twelve years ago, so back in two thousand eight. Jeez, you're okay. and I would have left that high school in two thousand six at the end of year ten. Okay. So I was there from years eight to ten. Okay, I'm just trying
2: to think if I know some some teachers there. So, <laughs> so, so yeah.
1: it would have been early two thousand and two two thousand and four, where I. And to 2006, where I was in Cooma. God, it's a bit small.
2: And I mean, if you, if you grew yeah. up in Cooma, we definitely know some some of the same people. I Pro- probably, but yeah. all
1: those people probably slipped my memory yeah. now. But I but I was doing drama in high school yeah. at Cooma, and yeah, and I fell into a love for acting at Cooma Little, Little Theatre because I did it during <laughs> high school, but I did it outside of high school as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was
2: funny because I was always into I was always into sport, but mostly because my, I had an older brother who was yeah. really good at sport, and so I was like, oh, I just want to, you know, you just want to be like your older brother. Mm. So I was mm. always trying to do sport, and then drama was something that I kind of sort of fell into and happened to be quite good at it because being yeah. the younger sibling, you know, the sort of the the outgoing one. Yeah. Um. But I was still wanted to be a but it was it was clear that I was never going to be a sports person. Yeah. Mm. I was always destined to. Uh, I always said just just to dress up and and pretend to pretend. be other people. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just pretending to did be a cricketer. You, yeah.
0: Did you do that in your room when you were growing up? Like did you pretend to be anyone else oh, or yeah, looked up to yeah. people?
2: Yeah. I mean I don't think I thought of it that way, but we would always like, you know, put on put on shows in the living room, yeah. and, you know, yeah. put on, we'd form a band just do yeah. do, you know, performances mm. for, for your parents, friends. And, yeah. And in a sense my Gary Star shows are that. Yeah. Like they're really thrown together and they have a feeling of, Of a a show in your living room for your parents, Mm. and Gary is like I didn't really realise this until my mum came to see the show, Um, which, as you'll 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 know, is is pretty is a pretty (laughs) big deal. Um, But uh, she said to me, she said, "Oh, Gary is basically you as a kid. This is how you were." And it was really bizarre. She said it was there was some mannerism stuff and stuff that she saw come out in in Gary. Which she hadn't seen me do since I was a kid. And that wasn't conscious. I wasn't yeah. thinking about what I used to do. She was like, it was like watching it's you. It's built in it baked regress. into you. It's yeah. right. Because
0: that's who you've been. Exactly. And everything roots well, everything roots back to your childhood. Yeah. And we kind of we
2: we grow out of it. And I think that's sad. It I is. I think society yeah. expects us to put on all these masks. Yes. And so we put more and more on. Yeah. And this is what I love about clown training is that it's about tearing them down and finding that really vulnerable. Yeah, place where it's like, okay, who are you really? What are you ashamed of? Yeah, and how can we prod that?
1: Mm. You know, is
0: it like when you're a drunk and that that alcohol just you know takes away your anxiety away, and then you're sort of like a fun, goofy kind of person? You're that when you're sober. You're that when you're Gary Star. Is it like that? Yeah, it's a
2: little bit like just yeah. And also, interestingly, there's the memory loss that comes with alcohol. Quite Mm. often, I'll come to the end of a show and it'll just be like. What just happened? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I think also doing a lot of reading about like flow state and stuff. Like I think that's oh, being yes. in the flow state. When yes. I get up there and, and play, because what I've made is, yeah, it's a show, but it's really just an excuse to play with an audience. And this is the reason I'm able to do this for years and years on end without having to make a new show every time because mm. it changes for me, yeah. every single night. Yeah. Because it's like the person gets up on stage. I don't sort of know
0: what dictate. they're going to do. No. And I yeah.
2: don't, <laughs> don't over prescribe. I'm just kind of like, here's a prop, get up. And then we start a scene. And so much of the development of the show is about learning the parameters within which people are going to play. Mm. And to begin with, it's kind of like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And then it happens a few times. Like, oh, okay, okay. Okay. So they're going to do that. So my job is to make the scene work, not to try and get them to do what I want them to do, mm. but to make the scene work no matter what they do. Yeah. And so it's about, you know, it, you know, it's about like 100 150 different ways that that scene will go. Yeah. And I have to find a way for it to succeed and for them to succeed because I want the audience member to yeah. succeed really. Yes um, with whatever they bring.
0: And I love that part because you have the possibility to, you know, stumble upon something random. Like you don't know what's going to happen and how the person's going to react. There's a part where you drop a hundred dollar note on the stage. Yeah. And I, second time when I go, I knew what to do when there's a red light and a green light. And when there's red light and you stop, I was like, I'm going to get this. And I returned it back because, you know, that's a nice Are thing. To, yeah. I, I did. <laughs> I returned it back to you. And, uh, has there been chances or instances where people didn't give it, gave it back to you?
2: Not that's the first hundred. But when I had smaller notes, people would take it. Oh yeah. And so the notes gradually got bigger. And so now it's a hundred. Bigger budget. We're playing on bigger (laughs) budget And the joke works better when I say to people, you can keep that. I go, you can keep that because people don't realize that the last few years have been really profitable for performing artists. And that gets a big laugh. And then of course the person's like, well, I can't keep it now. Yeah, But some people wanted to, I did have a, um, tempting yeah and but i've also got so i don't i don't always keep track but quite often because I, I greet everyone on the way out mm. so, you people do often go
0: hey thanks for the,
1: yeah yeah man, and then English, they usually go do, I want, yeah. do you want it back i'm like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <course> <laughs> <laughs> it's a prop it's a prop from the show <laughs>
0: did you ever think of using a fake note yeah but it's not the same yeah it's the stakes not, are higher yeah. with the real load, are, right? Yeah. i love
2: that i love that about that yeah <laughs> and also you know it's like if someone takes a hundred bucks every now and then, it's yeah. it's kind of worth it for me.
1: That's
0: true. Yeah. That's true.
1: I think a lot of people are trepidatious of audience interaction. Yeah. Of course. Like I think when I was younger, I sort of embraced audience interaction more so than I do as an adult. Mm. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people lose that sort of you know, embrace of participation? I think I mean going back to a bit like what I was saying before. I think mm. that um, we're we're afraid of, of making
2: a f- fool of ourselves, of looking yeah. stupid. And there's a lot of particularly on on um, on like the internet. There's loads of clips of of comedians, especially yeah. tearing people down, tearing shreds off audience members, making people look ridiculous. Yeah. Usually because that person deserves it. The audience members drunk and saying something, mm. and the comedian lays into them. So everyone thinks yeah. that that is audience participation but i wouldn't say mine so much it's it's just play yeah it's like it's like hey come and play it's, it's, i'm enticing people to play without making them yeah.
1: play well that's what i realized when i saw your show is oh this is a bit different to your typical audience interaction because it is play and mm. it was it, you made it fun yeah yeah it's just it so. hits you in the, it, hit, <laughs> it hits you in the face but in a good way and, I, and yeah. I love what you said about comedians because what
0: they're doing is they're breaking the word should. Like, you know, you should and should not say this and you should say this or you should be like that or you should play around like that. Like when you break that word should, I'm not a big fan of should, never been, yeah. but that show was breaking should and I think, you know, but ah, anyways.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's <laughs> so start really small as well. Like I make sure that the first piece of audience interaction is very easy yeah. and a huge win. Yeah. And it's handing out the zap signs. So yeah. you know, I hand out these zap signs at the beginning and when I point my lightning bolt, they go zap, and then the the song track the track finishes and I do one final zap and they always get it. And mm. I go, oh,
1: my God, you got it. <laughs> and people be like, oh, wow, okay, yeah.
2: oh, I, I want to do this. And yeah. they just gradually get gradually get more yeah. and more involved until they're you're not pulling up, dancing. You're
1: not pulling someone up on stage straight away. You're starting to... Small. And showing the audience
2: that if you get up, I will not make fun of you. You will – I will be the idiot. Yeah. I will be the butt of the joke. You will succeed. And people are like, okay, I'll get up and play now.
0: Yes. And that's the best part because that's very well crafted. Even when there's – when you pull someone on the stage where they're dancing, they have a face on their – they have a mask on their face Mm. and they sort of hide themselves and then they can be themselves. I think that's fucking – very well crafted man That is mask that is how mask works exactly because i would be afraid to have my face and dance like a goof but now i have a face on i have a reno red cape i can be a goof now yeah i've hidden i'm hidden from the world yeah and so how how does this whole play how long did it take you to write all this play well, this so the first one I made about Greek mythology was in
2: 2019, and it was called Gary Star Conquers Troy. Mm. And I started off with the idea that I want to do all the Greek mythology, and then I, 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 as I was making it, it got too clever. I started to sort of make it about oh he's he's trying to teach people how to how to act, and uh, and then so called Gary Star Conquers Troy. I made it and it toured for a little while. I did Edinburgh, um, and then the pandemic came along, and uh, and I, well, I moved to Vegas, funnily enough, in a big part of a big circus show, yeah. and. Um, Pandemic happened, and then ended up back in Melbourne. And I thought, I, I was kind of like, I didn't know what if I wanted to perform anymore. And then someone suggested to me, I think, oh, you should do Conquer's Troy again. I was like, oh, no, I didn't, never really enjoyed that. But I thought, well, I do want to have another crack at Greek mythology, though. Yeah. So I started to do. At that point, I'd um, uh, you know, the performing arts were nowhere near opening up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the government was saying, okay, we're going to take back the support now because you're going to go back to work. And we're like, oh, no, because I can't. <laughs> can't you go still and can't work. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even if you allow us to, people aren't going to come and see shows yet. Yeah. So I got a job as a delivery driver and I was um, working for a, a bike shop and I was delivering uh, bikes all around Melbourne and eight hours a day in a van just where you can't like look at your phone or anything like that. And they were long drives, like sometimes yeah. I was driving out to the Dandenongs or down to like Geelong or Torquay and stuff to just drop off a really expensive racing bike. And so he's just sitting there and I just started to sort of dream again and then I downloaded Stephen Fry's Mythos and the audiobook and started listening to that yeah. and all these ideas just started. I was like, "Wow, oh, god." Cuz so I started to rework Conquest Troy to the point where the only thing remaining in Greece Lightning yeah. from Conquest Troy is the Athena scene. Wow. And I go, "Where did you see her?" You know that yeah, one. Yeah. And uh, and then I was like, "Well, it's good. It's a new show now." So I call it Greece Lightning. Mm. Um and so it's been developing that long but really I actually nutted together this version of the show in probably about a month. And it was like I had these, I was living in a studio apartment and uh, so next to my bed because that was my office, that was everything, were these these place cards and they were kind of like I'd written on each card was like um, a famous god or, or creature from Greek mythology mm. and then what everyone knows about them. And then I just put them in order and then I would shuffle them around. I was like how can Gary completely misinterpret and misunderstand (laughs) what that means okay medusa snakes great that's all gary knows (laughs) how does he perform okay snake okay and she turns people to stone okay great so snakes what can i make a snake oh yeah killer pythons so it's like turning people to stone oh that's like you know grandmother's footsteps what's the time mr wolf you turn around (laughs) they turn to stone so that's just kind of Yeah, it just grew, and then uh, and my poor my poor partner at the time, you know, because pandemic time, so um, she was like staying in my and in my apartment, and we just see this stuff, and I was just constantly just throwing ideas out, throwing ideas, and my benchmark was if I could describe my idea Mm -hmm. and make her laugh, it had legs.
0: Yeah. Oh wow. If
2: I described the idea, because she's like you know she's a physio, Mm. she doesn't you know have anything to do with the performing arts, and she was kind of like you know you know, she doesn't know anything about Greek mythology like I didn't either mm. at that point. Yeah. So if I could just be like, oh, how's this for an idea? And then she would give me ideas as well. And so we just sort of bounce off each other and, yeah, she should get some kind of writing credit <laughs> yeah. on this show, I think.
1: Is oh, it, do you have an aspect of your life where you've embraced the absurdity? Just how do you find, abs- how do you write absurd comedy? Like what, what? what is your origin story in absurdity? I guess that's the yeah. question that that I, I, I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, yeah.
2: I think of absurdity in the same way I think are like weird. You yeah. Know? Whereas I think what I do is actually more I- idiotic. So, and the difference mm. is that absurdity is, is weird without context. Yeah. But the moment someone does something weird and you know why they're doing it, that's idiocy. Yeah. Do you know what, what I mean? Like if I see someone context. running down the street in a in a business suit, I go, That is weird. Yeah. That is absurd. Yeah. And then I see a bus pulling up. I'm like, oh, that's not weird because they're running for the bus. Yeah. Do you know? Mm. So it's like the moment you it's only absurd until there's context. Yeah. And then that's when you become an idiot. And that's where for me the biggest laughs come because they go, What this is so weird that this guy's dancing around with an exercise ball yeah. wearing nothing but a thong. Yeah. That's absurd. Yeah. But then when you realize that it's to John Williamson's Whip Rip Woodchip and he th- and he's playing Atlas, you go, yeah. oh, he's an idiot. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. so absurdity is kind of like when there's no context. Yeah. The moment you apply context, it's idiocy. Yeah. That's, that's my feeling anyway. But I can remember the moment that I started to explore idiocy was... So, I was an actor for like 12, 10 to 12 years before I even discovered that clown was a thing, like theater clowning. Because yeah. for me, clowns were just red nose, makeup, floppy shoes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I went and saw a show in Edinburgh one year by Spy Monkey, and it was, they, they were retelling Moby Dick, but they just didn't retell Moby Dick. Yeah. They were doing their best to retell it, and it was just like mm-hmm. re, these four idiots. And I was like, okay, great. I need to go and learn what they're learning. So, I started to train with these clown teachers around London. And I remember this, um, this teacher, I think it was Mick Barnfather saying, you are gonna have to accept that if you do go down this clown, this idiocy route, um, there will be times in your life where people will perceive you genuinely as an idiot. And that's really hard for us yeah. in society because we we really want people to think that we're intelligent, which is why we do yeah. these things like when someone's describing something, we nod and we go, Yeah, 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 yeah. And mm. it's like we're going, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. What are they talking about? And so I started to play with that idea and I thought, and oh, what if how does it feel to to go out and deliberately have an encounter with someone in public, allow them to think you're an idiot and to finish that transaction, that interaction, without sort of justifying it? Because we do these kind of things that like you might make a joke, you say something silly in a shop and then you let them know that you were joking, joking yeah. you know, because you don't really want them to think mm. you're an idiot because it's actually really hard. Like it yeah. hurts. So I remember the first time I tried it. I had my Oyster Card, which is like the travel card. Yeah, I went into a, like a, a shop to top it up in London back in the days we had to do that. So I went in and I said, um, can, I, "Can I put twenty pounds on this Oyster Card, please?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, sure." And he tops it up with twenty pounds, and I said, "How much is that?" And he goes, 20 pounds." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's has that gone up?" <laughs> he said, no, you. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. It's just used to be cheaper, and I said, thanks, and I left. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that feeling. Being like, that guy's gonna go home and go, you're not this this guy. (laughs) You know, this idiot came in today, asked me how much, told me how much he wanted, then told me it was too expensive. Yeah, you know, and that feeling of like, normally once more time, I may have done that in a kind of fun, jokey way, Mm. but I would have let him know I was joking. Yeah, and then I was like, oh wow. It's actually okay to be perceived as an idiot. Yeah. And I also, and I think a lot of this, I think what drew me to Clown was having moved to the UK as an Australian, as a mm. young actor, there's still a stigma there where they think Australians are stupid and uncultured and whatnot. And so it was really, and I started to dress really well. I started mm. to like, you know, wear nice clothing and 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 carry around nice things and be seen reading books and wanted to do Shakespeare and still you've been in a rehearsal room, you know, the Australian idiot. Every time you get something wrong, people would laugh at you. And I I was sick of it. I was kinda of like, I'm not an idiot, I'm really smart. And then I discovered Clown was like, it's okay to be an idiot. Yeah. And I was like,
1: oh my God. It was something I needed at that point. I, I think it relieves some of the pressure yeah. on the seriousness of life as well, when you just lean into, you know, the idiots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And just that it's
2: okay. And now it happened I'm far less. Far less bothered now when I do or say something stupid mm-hmm. and someone's like, I you got know, something the other day. It was kind of like, you know, something that I really should have known. And people are like, you know, that's not that. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't realise that. Like, that would have hurt me <laughs> in my, you know, early 30s, I'm sure. It's a sense of letting go. Yeah, yeah. it was a real catharsis and I think a lot of clown school is about that. It's like, you know, this guy I trained with in Paris is about tearing you down. You know, it's mm. really about ripping shreds off you.
0: I can't believe that you saw that show and thought fuck i'm gonna do this well because it terrified me i thought I can't, I can't i thought i could never do this and i went i
2: think i've got to try
0: wow well, yeah because i was bored with that can you take us back there and how how the whole thing went so you watched the show and you're like okay i'm gonna do this so what's the next step you took after you coming out of that show
2: well then i i read i read the program and saw they'd all studied with this guy philip gollier hmm. and i was like was this so i started to read about philip gollier and this clown teacher and then um, I think it was probably conversations with people and they were like, you know that some of the people that he taught now teach clown in London. Mm. And at the point, at that point I couldn't leave London. I was like, you know, I was working out, a, a, building a career. So I started t- to look into clown courses with people that he had taught. And one was Mick Barnfather and um, I think John Wright was someone else who I trained with in, in London before I went and trained with Philip Goliere. And... Um, and I, I was just, I was terrible to begin with. Like I just wasn't mm-hmm. very good, because I think I think actually actors quite often make the worst clowns to begin with because mm. you because uh, it's about wearing masks, acting. Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Initially, you wanted to be an actor when you went to London. Yeah, I was for about 10, 10 years. And how was that going for you?
2: It was. I got to a point where I was actually earning a living as an actor. I was doing mm. a lot of theatre. I was doing bits and pieces of TV. I got. Started to get in like with the BBC and ITV and was getting, you know, a lot of TV commercials.
0: As an actor, that's what would you, that's what you would want ideally, right? Yeah. You wouldn't want to be a clown. If you look at it from a very different angle, it's like, who the hell is that? Yeah. So, man, I it, it's hard for me to just process like, why would someone just go all in after watching <laughs> one show?
2: Well, because I, I was I was already getting disheartened with acting.
0: Did you yeah. think did that show resonated something deep inside you?
2: Yeah, I think it so. It did. It yeah. was that it was that play. Yeah. It was like being yeah. back at the Kuma Little Theatre when I was playing the fairy godmother in the some show <laughs> and having the time like just having experiencing complete joy on stage, complete irreverence, mm. joy. And I saw them with that and I went, I want I want that. Mm. That that looks yeah. fun. And yeah. acting wasn't giving me that. Mm. i didn't have any creative control and i think that that's to now and now every now and then i've gone back since being a goliath and and done a couple of shows for other people and it's yeah. gone horribly because i don't have creative control and now I, you have autonomy yeah yeah exactly and it's like you know, I, that autonomy is more important to me than anything yeah. was
0: so when was the one when, when did gary star when was gary star born then
2: well, so after after I trained with Goliath, myself and about four, four or five other clowns from one from Italy, France, Switzerland, England, we got together and we formed a clown troupe called The Plague of Idiots. Mm. And we did a, a clown show. Basically yeah. the stuff that we'd done at clown school, we did a show in London, this little theater called the um the hen and chickens, little like 40 50 seat theater in, in hybrid Islington. And it went well. Like people really enjoyed it. They're like, oh, this is really good yeah. that you're doing this. So then I said to them all, what do you reckon about going out and doing like the Adelaide Fringe Festival? Mm. And all these like Europeans they like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we could do this. Of course we could. So we went out and we came out to Australia. And we all just put all that money into it. I said, we're not going to make any money. Mm. Go out and do it. So we did like Perth Fringe, Adelaide Fringe, um, and like the Western Australian Circus Festival. And we did really well. Like we had small houses to begin with. And it was a bit like Grease Lightning at Comedy yeah. Fest still. I would do a long run, and I'd start with we'd start with a handful of people, and they would come again and again and again, yeah. and they'd bring friends. and By the end of the season, we were, people were filling up the little audiences sitting on the floor. You know, they're like it's the last one, they're grabbing all their friends because they can't describe it.
1: Yeah, yeah. They can't, exactly. Like, I can't describe it. I, you have you're to, have to see go. It. Yeah,
2: and then I'm going to come with you to make sure you go yeah. and sit you in the front row. Is, you know, yeah, the exact <laughs> same exact thing. same thing yeah. happened.
0: And it's like I can't describe what the show is. Just just come with me and just sit.
1: There's no way. And usually see. I'd get so nervous about seeing in the front row myself, but
0: yeah, that was worth yeah, it. Yeah, because <laughs> <It's definitely laughs> I love the part when you can play around and you're a part. Because I think I've seen people in the audience. They're they're hidden, but they also want to be part of something cool. And you made them feel for, for that hour or forty minutes the show as as, as, as long as it goes. And it's like and yeah, that's it. So I bought bought I think about six or seven friends with me the next time. Oh really? I did I oh, did But we're crazy. sitting at the back I told those assholes, I said, we need to go early, but they're just seven people. It's hard to um, take them all. But I enjoyed it, man. Everyone enjoyed it.
2: This is really interesting because we've talked a lot about, and I know that some events are doing this, is um, they give like consent stickers or like things like that. So you can wear... I can't remember what the colours are but there's specific colours which are like red, yellow, green to say I like audience interaction, I don't like audience interaction, um, I'm okay with yeah. it. Like this is the kind of thing that people are doing to just to make a safe space and mm. I think in some environments that's really useful and that would be good. I know if I was someone who had some sensory issues or then that would be important. But the problem for me is that the people who wear green and like I want audience I want on play are the least like attractive. Exactly. They're gonna know, overdo you know, it. it. Yeah, yeah, they're the worst person to get up. Yeah. And also, and it's not it's not me going it's me going, you will ruin the scene. Yeah. And people will not love you. The yeah. audience want an underdog. Mm. They want someone who's a little bit frightened, sure, who yeah. wouldn't yeah. put their hand up and, up, and I get them up and i allow them to succeed and the audience is like, yeah, yeah. we're on your side. Yeah. If I get someone up who's an actor or like, you know, straight yeah. away the audience is like, no, don't love mm, this person. Yeah. I want to see you know, I want to see someone who doesn't want to be there. It's funny people can eight. pick on that. Yeah.
0: What have you learned about the psychology psychology of the masses? Like how do you do you understand that every time you're performing? Like how do people react or how do you do, do you tweak your show?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it does change slightly depending on the the demographic. I mean, I've done a couple of shows on cruise ships. Mm. So yeah, P and O booked a... me. <laughs> uh, they were chasing me for a while and my producer and I were kind of like, oh, I don't think it's really for us. And eventually the money was too good to say yeah. no, so we yeah. turned up, and I did the first. I was booked to do two. Was you're on the boat on the ship for a week, and I was booked to do two nights. And of course, after the show, because we go on because we, we're guest entertainers, we don't go on as um uh, with crew. We stay actually. With the general public and we eat with the general public and everything. So if the show goes badly, you see them all, you know? So I did the first show and it was just like deathly silence. And normally I go and see people on the way out, greet everyone on the way out. And I didn't. I just walked off stage and I was like, what am I going to do? I've got to do one more night here. How am I going to do this? Went back to my room and I just thought, how am I going to get out of the, because I'd be contracted to do another two cruises after this as well. So I've got to get out of these. I don't even want to do tomorrow night. And I just went, no, it's fine. I'm just going to lower my expectations. I'm going to tweak the show yeah. and I'm going to go back out in there and do it. And I did it the next night and it was slightly better. better. I, the mm-hmm. audience gave me a little bit more but I was okay with it. And then I greeted them on the way out and they were just like, oh, my God, that was amazing. They just It just yeah. so happened that this room I was in is yes. very deep and oh. people are really spaced out and they're all in the dark and they're also not used to this. It was like the cruise was going from Cairns to Brisbane <laughs> and it was like they'd never, you know, like th- they'd probably never even been yeah. to the big city. It's like an all-inclusive inclusive kind of cruise yeah. and they're kind of like. So I was like, oh, wow, they actually do enjoy it. They just don't get jokes about Harold Pinter. Mm. So I was doing my other show, performs yeah. Everything, where I do every genre of theatre in an hour. And it's like, yeah, my shows are silly, but they're kind of highbrow. There's a lot of jokes in there which are <laughs> aimed at people who who have studied the arts in some way. Yeah. And then I then I get my pants off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, so all right. So I just tweaked the show again. I went back and did another cruise. And then after that they didn't book me for any more, I think, which is probably a good thing because mm. I would have felt obliged to say yeah. yes because the money was so good. But it doesn't do anything for me as a performer. Like it didn't progress my career. I didn't and I didn't enjoy doing it. And you're away for like a week at a time yeah. to do one show often. So it's I'm kind of glad they didn't bring me back. But, yeah, I had to tweak the show. I had to do a different version of it. Yeah, And even now I'm doing a lot of regional touring. Um, and so what happens is like a lot of theatres around the country, their programmers will come to the festivals and see my show and love it because they're theatre people. Yeah. And they just so happen to live somewhere remote and they love theatre. They come and see my show like, oh, this is great. So they buy it, my show. But it's then their job to sell the show. And they don't realise that, you know, it's like the first night of any festival yeah. and I'm not going to go back there until next year. So it's really hard for them to get people along so I'm playing in these re- regional areas in quite often big theatres with a very small audience mm. and it's, it can be really awkward. Yeah. So you just kind of have to tweak it for that, especially when you've just come from Melbourne Comedy yeah. Festival in a you know sweaty packed room. And
1: How have you tracked this year compared to others? Um, Are you finding more people... Uh- Discovering who you are in the festival environment, yes. Yeah. Um, when still,
2: if I go anywhere outside of the big cities, you get it's really hard for them to sell my show because they, they don't know how to sell, they don't know how to describe it. Yeah, so it's kind of when I'm we're realizing that the show is a momentum show, so mm. I need to be somewhere for a long period of time so word can spread. Because yeah. if I go and do a one off once a year, true. It's gonna be. It's gonna take me too long. It's gonna take me ten years to if build an audience. It,
1: yeah. If you're just somewhere for a weekend, it's not gonna have the same impact if you're there yeah. for four weeks. So we're you know? we're
2: still doing these um these regional touring. We're doing it again next year from like February through to June, <laughs> where we just kind of fly around the country and do one offs as well. Because I quite enjoy it. It's yeah. fun to see places yeah. and, and their buy ins, and so you get, you know, you get you, you get guaranteed a fee.
0: Can you? take or make can your team make videos of people's reaction to your show and then sell it
2: yeah that we do do that as well i quite often do like vox pops at the end yeah um but to actually film the audience you kind of need to get well, everyone's what, permission because i was yeah. thinking
0: like if i were your in your team how would i sell i'm just yeah. you know that's how i was thinking it's like my reaction was fucking amazing my six of my mates were just we we're talking about your show all night and mm. how great it was if I could make their videos and sell it to the public, everyone would be like, I want to watch that show. What is yeah. that? But that's because actually a really yeah. good yeah. idea. It, it, getting, yeah. it, your show relied heavily on word of mouth. Dan got me. I got my friends. And, you know, they, they must have gone. It was just relying on the word. And you're right. That if you go to a new place, it's fucking hard. Yeah. How would you describe that show? So like mm,
2: maybe that's... So the people who do come, funnily enough, so what happens is I post online, yeah. I, I post on whatever my social media, hey, I'm <clears throat> going to be in such and such a town, which yeah. is quite a remote area. Yeah. And then straight away someone who has seen my show in Melbourne or Sydney or London or, or, or you know, in the big cities tags a friend and goes, dude, you have Say to this. go and see yeah. this. He's coming to your town, you have to go and see it. And they call up and reply, I go, oh, yeah, cool, yeah. man, yeah, thanks. But it's like also like you said, unless someone's there to take you along, Mm. It's You know, you can tell someone as you're blue in the face how good something is. Yeah. But until you go, I put your money where your mouth is, like, I've just bought you a ticket, we're both going.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, okay, oh, I'll go. It's essentially what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You took
0: me. Yeah. yeah. But I guess yeah. it's, just,
1: it's You, you it's, can't rely on, on telling someone to go and see something and then actually them independently going to see it on yeah. their own. You have to actually book two tickets or mm. however, many. however many tickets it is. And actually just go yeah yeah Yeah. the same
0: um do you brought an interesting point well when you were an actor back in london when you were working and making a living off of acting you talk about creative control talk to me about how big that is in an artist's life creative control
2: yeah huge now and i I kind of feel like if you're not making a and I know you can collaboratively make art, of course, but for me you've got to start doing everything on your own
0: mm.
2: to really make something. And if you're not beginning in that way, if you're always just a piece in the bubble, in, <laughs> <laughs> in the bubble, you're just a piece the then who is the artist? Who is the, the creator? And I think so much of the time when I watch something or see something that I really love, it's because a single voice is coming through. Mm -hmm. And so that – and then you watch the credits and you go, oh, yeah, it was written and directed by the same person. There's an authenticity to it as well. and you go, wow, that really struck me as – that really connected – you know, I connected with that. And so for me it was important that when I stepped away and and learned Clown that I wanted to make my own work is that I found a way to do it all on my own um, and then just discovered that I worked really well with me. (laughs)
1: Mm. <laughs> what, what are the days like at Clown School?
2: Um, they're pretty brutal. Yeah, like I mean, there's a lot of joy. The way that that Philip works is that he teaches via negativa, so it's kind of he will very rarely build you up; he will just tear you down. Yeah. But interestingly, when that works in a in a in a clown sense, it's like because everyone's just getting up one after the other to try and be funny, uh, and to begin with, you know, over the eight weeks that we did. The clown module, the second year clown module, to begin with, people were funny, and then uh, it sends you that halfway mark. Mm. People just aren't funny anymore, and so to be learning clown in a room with no laughter is painful. But thankfully, because Philippe takes such pleasure in making fun of people. The room is filled with laughter. Yeah. So like, and he 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 will find the thing about you that you're vul, that that you're, that that is your vulnerability that you're ashamed of that, and he will prod it and he will be like, go oh, but this person, and then he'll turn. You know, you'll do something which is not funny, or you're still performing, and he just turns to the person next to him and says, "What
1: well, did you have for lunch today?" Do
2: you know, and like mm, just to like, yeah. you, and then of course everyone's laughing. But then when he was away sick, we had. a a fill-in teacher who didn't make fun of people and it was three hours of silence. People getting up to be... And that's when I realised the value of what he does because if there's not laughter in a room when you're learning clown, even if it is not coming from the person on stage, but he's giving you the opportunity to be funny because if he tells you you're rubbish um, and you, like an idiot, kind of accept it and, and keep going, we laugh at you. Yeah. You know, you're up this stage yeah. and you're going, you're doing a dance or something like that, and no one's laughing. Uh, and then maybe he'll do the opposite, he'll be like, "Oh, but this is so good," you know. And if you accept that compliment and go, "Thank you," and keep dancing, then we start laughing at you. Yeah. But what he's doing is actually making fun of you for being unfunny. You think yeah. that he, you take it as genuine. Hmm. You become an idiot. Yeah. And so he's the way he he's provoking you in this like boss clown way is filling the room with laughter. And if he wasn't doing that, as we experienced with other teachers, it's very hard to sit through three hours of clown.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, it's Importance brutal. But a lot of a good people, teacher. Yeah. Importance of a good teacher, man.
2: But it's brutal. I mean a lot of people would come out of there and, you know, just n- never want to perform again. It's really, it's quite
1: brutal. He's like a... You wouldn't expect that when you hear clown school. to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You, you you you'd you wouldn't expect the seriousness of what you just described at a clown school. And I think a lot. Of, I think if you were studying to be a, like a circus clown, a lot of that is
2: about tricks. It's about you know slapstick and juggling and um and there's still you know it's still a very very valid form of clown, but it's very different to this kind of theatre clowning, which is you know how do you bring your own personal idiocy onto a stage? And people don't know like people don't know when I walk out, they don't go oh he's a clown. Yeah. Like when they see Sacha Baron Cohen, you know, as Borat, yeah. they don't go, "He's a clown." Yeah, they go, "Who is this idiot?" Yeah, and if
1: yeah. and if
2: they if they thought he was a clown, if the general public who he encountered thought, "Oh, this is a funny character. This is a clown," it wouldn't be anywhere near as funny. It's the fact that people genuinely think he's an idiot. Yeah, that makes it so funny.
0: The belief. Yeah, of him being an idiot. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, <clears throat> if like. You're an actor. You're a clown. Well, if we were both in high school, mm. if we were sitting together on the same bench studying. What kind of person would you be? I was always jumping from group to group. I was always like social butterfly.
2: Yeah, and I always. I mean, I always kind of got bullied a little bit as well. Yeah. But that was mostly because I was so outgoing. I just kind of like chat to everyone. Yeah. Always challenging authority, which mm. I think is another reason that I really enjoy making my own work now and why acting turned out to be not right for me as well because. You know, you had to do as you were told and stand where you were told to stand. Yeah, I couldn't even, do that.
0: No. No in school, no, no.
2: So back in my in the school days, I was just like that. I was always the one like, why, miss? Why? Why? But why? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but
0: was there a time that authority was beaten into you sort of but not physically, of was yeah. by life? Um, I mean, I felt like
2: school was that. I mm. felt, and I don't think that, you know, Cooma North Primary School was yeah. particularly, you know, militant, but... Um, I just didn't, I didn't like being, I couldn't sit still. I mean, I I needed to be out doing things. There's this this great story about, I can't remember who it is, I'm going to mistell it, but it's a very famous choreographer and she tells this story about when she was at school that, you know, they thought she had learning difficulties so they brought her parents in with a a psychologist and the psychologist was talking with the principal and the parents to the the girl and he said, I'm just going to pop out. He said, can you step out with me to the parents and left the girl there on her own. He said, I'm just going to pop outside with your parents just for a minute. Um, and he put some music on. And we're back in a minute and they went outside. And then he said, just watch through the window. And as soon as they were out, she got up and she started dancing. And he turned to the parents and He said, oh, there's nothing wrong with your daughter. She's a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, but schooling, if only everyone was like that. It's like he can't sit still. He has a problem. It's like, no, he can't yeah. sit still because he's a performer. He's a dancer. He's, he's anything but someone who can sit there. At a desk and listen to someone talk. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just it's still that way, you know. The it's all outcome, cutter. yeah, mm. outcome-driven education. So, I wasn't the problem. It was school. It was <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. school
0: <laughs> failed you. Yeah, that's true. Um, what's next on your list? What?
2: Well, I think it's. So I've done all, every genre of theatre was my first one. Gary Starr performs everything. And then it was all of Greek mythology, Greece Lightning. And I'm working on, but I've got to tread very lightly, um, the Bible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> is that... a tri- it's a trilogy, right, the, uh, the Gary Starr uh, shows. It's a trilogy that you're working I on? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think
2: there's probably three shows in it. I'm also working on a, um, a, like a family-friendly show, which is called Monkeys Everywhere, which is very much about... ...my inability to to stay still and the whole idea of the monkey mind. Yeah. It's like ideas are like monkeys swinging from branch to branch mm. for, for me. It's, um, and it's not that you need to get rid of the monkeys in, that are swinging around in your mind. It's just you need to find a way to manage them. And so mm. I've been doing some development in the UK with um, a director called Olivia Jacobs... ...who actually created the Gruffalo and Room on the Broom. Yeah. And like a lot of really big kids shows. And so we did two weeks of development only about a month or so ago in the UK... And then we're going to go into rehearsal um, probably around June, July next year and premiere that I think at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So that's Monkeys Everywhere. It's an all-ages show where I don't get naked. Um, (laughs) But then and I think that's a Gary Starr show but it's like it will be definitely the Gary kind of character but an all-ages show. But the trilogy of Gary Starr I think is every genre of theatre, all of Greek mythology
1: and then the the Bible. It's funny because I think Gary Starr could appeal to all ages if it weren't for... The nudity, well,
2: this is the, and this is the, one of the reasons that I, a I get naked and yeah. b I play late at night. Yeah, is because if you have kids in an audience, because we found this plague of idiots, is that we we didn't do anything that was inappropriate, but for, for as far as we were concerned, we we're making a show for adults. But then people started bringing the kids along, and what happens is that then adults stop laughing
1: because mm. they think,
2: oh, it's for kids. Yeah. So what I've made is, yeah, it's a kids show for adults, but if kids are there. Then adults think it's a kids it's show. It's just a kids show, yeah. You play it late at night and you get your kid off. Everyone goes, "Oh, it's such a great show!" Oh no, it's definitely adults only. It's definitely adults only. But actually, it's it's a, it is a kids it, show yeah. for adults.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah.
2: So that's yeah, that's what I quite often have. Not quite often. I've Maybe I had like two times. People will either mention in a review or say to me, "It's like you know, you're very talented. I don't know why you feel you have to get naked."
1: Well, I think the humor <laughs> is is very universal to everyone. Yeah, because you know, it's just silly. Yep. It's not political. It's you're not trying to make a, you know, a strong point or anything like that. It's just yeah. silly. Yeah, it crosses yeah.
2: all those all the barriers, like political, you know, um, even like religious, cultural, everything. I've had people from who don't speak any English yeah. come and enjoy the show. They enjoy different things about it, but it doesn't really I'm yet to find anyone who doesn't appeal to it except people who are very guarded. There's something about it. I can see there's this. I can see it in them. I've seen people who kind of find themselves in the front row because they're the ones you really notice, and they kind of they've already got this kind of like, you know, this mm. bravado or something where they they're wearing a shield, and they come from all different walks of life. But you can spot them, and I just think straight away you're not going to enjoy this because they're worried about how they're perceived, and if you laugh at someone who is who is completely free and irreverent, it's like. Mm. What yeah. do people think of you? And I can see it in them. So, yeah, the only people who don't enjoy it is people who are just far too guarded.
0: I I completely agree with that. I think I I am someone who
1: walks with that shield on most mm. of the times, but I think, well, how did you embrace embrace the show when we saw it? When did your shield go down? I think I was just sa- I sat down with an open mic, but open mind, open oh, open mind, <laughs> my
0: open <my> mind. <laughs> <Open laughs> um, That'd be different. We'd hear all your comments <laughs> yeah. then, even if you had an open mic, because. <laughs> Gary Starr opened with a sanitizer on my hand and says, You know, hello, killer, Maddie.
1: And it,
0: it, it, it breaks. That's, that's the perfect icebreaker. Mm-hmm. It's like, Okay, hey, how you doing? And you don't, you don't just, you know, show your penis just straight away. You're sliding it. It's, I, as I said, it's a perfectly crafted. I would say and go ahead and say it's a masterpiece. Not that my opinion is very big, <laughs> but it's a masterpiece. It's a very well crafted. You ease it into. And then you have, then you do this, like uh, you ask your friend, I don't know if it's someone's actually there or not. It's like, do we have time to do that? Do we have actually? That's like the technician. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if someone was actually there or not. It was like, do we have time? To-? But you end up actually doing that. Yeah. So it's, it's. I think it's a psychological, you, it's very well and smartly crafted. This, the first time I was just enjoying the show. Second time I was just noticing the audience and um, mm. just seeing how people reacted to the tiny events that they were having. That's funny. That That's you were funny. providing to them.
1: Because when I took you and Seth, I think my, my second experience with, with the show was just watching yours and Seth's reaction to the show. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I need to do getting, a goggle, a goggle get, box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was getting an enjoyment out of your reactions as well. So there's an added element of the show's amazing and absurd and silly, but I'm also getting another element of watching your reaction to it as well. I
0: wish I wish you recorded it, man. I wish yeah. you recorded it. You, like you must have recorded We've it. We've recorded it, but it, but this is the thing. Yeah. Is I think
2: with Clown it doesn't, it just doesn't have anywhere near, it doesn't work as well for the simple reason that you need to be around other people who are experiencing it.
1: Yeah.
2: And the only way I've seen Clown transfer to screen successfully is someone like Sacha Baron Cohen because like you said, you're watching other people watch him. Yeah. If he was just boring on the screen with not interacting with other people, you'd go, yeah, okay, it's kind of funny. But the moment you see him encounter other people, now you're watching, you're seeing him through their eyes. You're watching other people enjoy or, like, be baffled by him. Yeah. So you're seeing the effect rather than, you know, what he's actually doing.
0: Wow, that's funny. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I'm saying I, I, people who, who see the show a lot, like my partner or my producer, um, they say that they, now they get to a point where they just sit there and they just watch other people or like get into conversations oh, with yeah, other they people do. without mentioning they're connected connect yeah. to the show just to like yeah. find out at the end. Oh, what did you enjoy? You know, or <laughs> they sit in the bathroom like straight afterwards, like my, um, my I can't remember who told me. One of my friends would just go straight into... No, it was my, my director friend, Olivia. She said she would go straight after the show, go into the women's bathroom, just sit in a cubicle and just listen to what everyone says about the show yeah. afterwards. Like, oh, what about this one? And that she, that's where she gets the most honest... Reviews. ...feedback,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that
2: didn't work. Okay, that's good.
1: There, there was an anticipation to certain moments in your show... I was I was very look, I was looking forward to that moment that you bring out the uh, globe and start bouncing up and down on it. <laughs> I, that was a that moment has stuck in my head from the previous show. I'm like I, I can't, can't wait until he gets to this moment. I Can't wait until he gets to this moment. There were certain points throughout the show where I'd be like, oh yes, yes, this is about to happen. But it's more so for my friends' benefits as well. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't wait until they experience this. Well, this is and this is why it's a momentum <laughs> show, which is why now. Where
2: So as of pretty much after this now, we're doing a lot longer seasons. So other than I'm doing a week in, in London and a week in um, in Edinburgh, but then I come back and do four weeks in Sydney yeah, and we do like five nights a week, come straight to Melbourne and we do four weeks, probably six nights a week in Melbourne and then I have a couple of weeks off, then we go back to London and I do four weeks in London. So it's like it's, for that exact cool. reason we've realised that we've got to take a – Got to take a hit to begin with, yeah, and trust that that word of mouth spreads. And by the end, it's selling out. It's every single time mm. we've done it, we've played longer than three weeks. By the end, it had been selling out, no matter what size the venue is. Yeah. So we've just got to, you know, I'm gonna to have to. It's hard because it's physical. It's
1: yeah, very physical. it is. How, how do you keep fit?
2: Oh God, well, now because <laughs> it I'm, is a physical show, It's very, <laughs> very physical, oh, very, yeah. and I'm starting to take a lot more seriously now. So and you I'm do gonna, look
1: great, by the way. <laughs> Thanks very <laughs> much.
2: But I'm, I'm taking a lot more care now between seasons between shows to emulate the show so I'm I'm trying to do an hour of fitness on an evening or you yeah. know going to the gym every day um and purely because I don't want that shock to the system again because when yeah. I start performing again mm. every night for like the Edinburgh fringe Festival like for, for a month it's just I'm just a shadow of my former self yeah I was
0: gonna list that's was, that was gonna be the next question yeah. that does how do you play around with Gary starr does he like is he here third person to you? Or is he a second person to you? Or first person? Well, he can't be first person. But it's in,
2: Yeah, he, I think he started out just as my clown, which was kind of me, the slightly idiot, more idiot version of me. But there's an interesting thing with clown, and I see it with a lot of really great clowns who I have trained with or seen or know, is that if you are like pure clown, um, people love you, but you can't sustain an hour, and, or, or you yeah. can, but. But it's like this. So yeah. it's like one night the play and the joy will be there yeah. and then the next night if, if something doesn't kind of catch, it's kind of like, form, it's like this. It's this emotional roller coaster. So for me, and coming from an acting background, I, it's important that I really structure a show. So Gary is a clown but he's becoming far more of a character because in order for the actor, the performer, to be there with the, the conscious thought of moving it forwards because if something fun yeah. happens in the show, The clown just wants to play with that.
0: Yeah. Oh la da da -da,
2: this is great. This is great. This is great. But your show has to run on time. There's a quick changeover. There's another show after you. Yeah. And so Gary the clown probably now takes up 30 to 40% of the show. And Gary the character Mm. is the one who drives the show forward. Yeah. And that that may sound kind of, I don't know, pretentious or just confusing. But for me, the difference between a clown and a character is the character the audience recognizes that you're performing this. Yeah. Or as a clown, the audience go, Who is this person? <laughs> what how are they what are they that it poses questions, you know? Yeah. Like someone like Vigo Venn who just won Britain's Got Talent. For me, he is pure clown. And it just so happened that, you know, when I see his show when you see his show in Edinburgh it's in a small room and it's brilliant, and you just watch this idiot play for an hour. Yeah. Um, so it's gonna be really interesting to see now that having one brisketel talent, he's going to be playing like over a thousand seats and I just pray
1: that it's going to, you know, land every night. There must be some people who come into your show not realising that you're playing a character either. It's yeah. just, yeah. I've it. Had, it, I had it in Adelaide especially.
2: If people have had a bit, bit to drink um, and they don't get the buzz, I've had people correct my malapropisms. Like I'll, yep. I'll come out and say um, in the other show, i say my name is Gary Elizabeth Starr and tonight I will perform, you know, every single genre of theatre, thus perspiring you to go and see more theatre. <laughs> and this woman said... It's inspiring. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, she's not going to do it. Anyway, so every time I would say the wrong word, she would correct me and sort of look to her friend and say, who is this yeah. guy? Doesn't. And that is the ultimate compliment because if people genuinely yeah. think you're an idiot, yes. then you're very, very, your clown is close to you, Philippe yeah. would say. He's like, oh, your clown is very close to you now. And if wow. people if people believe that you're an idiot, your clown is close to you. Yeah, And for me, I have to distance him a little bit. ...in order for a show to move forward. Um, But there's a great great story. What was her name? Jen. Her name's Jen. I can't remember her last name. She's a a young actor. uh, Came out of... um, Did she get a goal Anyway, I saw her show in Adelaide. Very small crowd of people. There's probably about eight people in there. Most of us were performers, clowns and whatnot. And then this couple had been brought in from the bar last minute. They are like, oh, there's a show and you want to go see it. Anyway, she's a beautiful idiot... ...and she's trying to do the show about fashion... And, uh, and um, but you know, everything goes wrong and we're laughing and then this couple, the woman in the couple, was laughing as well but then being like, people pay money to see this? Yeah. I said it out loud. Yeah. And you could see Jen, like she was quite hurt by that and all of us were like, what do we do? Do we? This woman's obviously quite drunk and doesn't get that this is an act. Anyway, as the show went on, this woman would say more bitter things but then she would laugh at the same time as us laughing. And Then she was very confused. She was like... I don't understand, how is this show going so well when <laughs> this woman's such an idiot yeah. and she'd yeah. do something stupid on stage we would laugh, the woman would laugh at her yeah. thinking look how useless this person is, whereas we're laughing with her and this you could see this woman's oh, head just like exploding, wow. she's like I don't understand what's going on, this person's an idiot, how are they maintaining an audience? And it was just so such a joy to see and so I said to her after, I said look I know that must have been really hard for you to, mm-hmm. to hear an audience yeah. member like diss you like that, but yeah. that is the ultimate compliment, compliment. Yes. she thought you were an idiot and you somehow managed to be Make here. Make them
0: believe yeah. that I am that person that you think I am. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, ugh.
2: Yeah. Laycock. <sighs> Jennifer Laycock, her name is. Yeah,
1: It's, so. fun- it's funny. when I, I saw you for the first time this year mm. and I walked in with no sort of expectations, only that it just looked like a silly show. But I didn't even realise that Gary Starr was a character mm. because like Sam Simmons and Josh Glantz, they're Josh, Josh, they're Josh Glanton, and Sam Simmons. They're not playing a character. I mean yeah. they're playing a character but, you know, they haven't had a name change, right? Yeah. I didn't realise Gary Starr was a character. I just thought you were Gary Starr. Yeah. Well, it's kind of you. Play, yeah, playing a heightened version of yourself obviously yeah. but I didn't realise you your na- your actual name was Damien. Yeah. <laughs> I forget sometimes.
2: But actually, I mean, just to the point now where people, even really people who are very close to me, particularly during festival time, just refer to me as Gary, people who've known me yeah. before I created it. Will introduce me as Gary. Will talk to me as Gary, and I don't mind. Like I'm not yeah. fussed by it. It's really funny how it's just rolls off people's tongue now.
0: Do they ever collide? Do the personalities of the world ever collide? Um,
2: Gary and Damien. Well, it's kind of he is kind of just a slightly higher status, lower intelligence version of me, which is yeah, kind of yeah. me as a kid. That's kind of yeah, yeah. He's me as a kid, really. And the name came about because someone oh, was uh, like... Oh, yes, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, how did the name came out? So I was doing Plague of Idiots for quite a while. We were touring it. And then yeah. we got together to work with um, uh, Cal Crystal, the director, who mm. actually directed my first solo show, who was amazing. Um, and he's, I think he was the one who was like, yeah, I think you need a name. Because at that point I was just like, Monsieur, Monsieur Loyal. Like people just kind of call me Monsieur or MC. Um, and he said, you have a name? And I was yeah. and It just kind of... No, I went to I went to a, a vintage shop in Soho in London and I found this black leather jacket that kind of didn't fit properly and yeah. it's very 80s and is now the one I use for performs everything. And I just looked in the mirror and I was like, Gary. <laughs> I don't know. I Gary. Kind of like, Gary. This is Gary. <laughs> what star? And maybe it's Gary Glitter. I think it's probably like Gary Glitter mixed mm. with like Freddie Star. It's kind yeah. of like this 80s sort of. Sort of you know, and uh, and the double R I think came from my friend Mark Winstanley. Stanley. He's like, you should not give yourself a double R. And I was like, I might give myself two double R's. So <laughs> Gary with two R's and Star with two R's. And then I've since found out though that there are some prominent people called Gary Star. And so, oh. so the I think he's like the one of the most senior pe- people with OzPost is Gary Star, wow. but he's Gary with one R, Star with two. Um, and there's a guy in the UK who is a producer and performer of pantomimes called Gary Star. <laughs> and his company's called Gary Star Productions. <laughs> and, but he's Gary with one R. So there's not many Gary with two R stars. Two, two Rs, two Rs. But I'm, sh- I'm just so positive that this guy, who must be aware of me now, because he employs young actors mm. to be in his pantomimes, yeah. I'm sure he must be like, "Who is this guy? Is he a disgruntled actor <laughs> who I didn't give a job to when I was young?" You know, I'm trying to look you up. Because yeah, it's like I'm totally like, you know, this this Gary Starr is kind of this you know failed actor who that's, that's how I purport he is in the, in, the, in the first one, um, and so uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they must, their worlds must collide at some point anyway.
0: Hey, just before we start wrapping this up, was it hard for you to? go all in on your craft or like when you thought, fuck, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I can do this Mm. the rest of my life. Was it daunting? Was it challenging? I don't, I don't know if it, I think
2: it was, it would have been more difficult not to, I think I was at that point where I'd already risked everything to become an actor. Like you, if you Mm. go and move to London as a, as a young, in my early twenties and just, and I was broke all the time. We grew up not having a lot of money. So I was okay with that, you know? Um, and then when I realised that that my heart wasn't in acting like straight, you know, kind of acting anymore, the choice is to then either go and do something which ensures you, you know, ensures that you can make money, mm-hmm. you know, go back to university or something or you can really chase the dream. Like I'm like I've always followed, I've always followed what it is that brings me joy and that it just didn't seem like an option then. So
0: how was it like when you first made the decision to go all in on acting and thought, fuck, I'm going to go to London, be an actor. And then having the realization of that, I actually don't enjoy this at my core. Mm. How was that realization like? Well, I knew there was
2: something about it that I enjoyed because I enjoyed being on stage Mm. and I enjoyed play. And I had had as an actor moments of complete freedom. Of, Mm -hmm. like, that, like, where time just is is not important. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, flow state, I'd experienced as an actor, but very, very seldom, you know, did that happen. And then, if if clown, because I I got to a point where I wanted to perform more, but the thing that was getting in the way was jobs. And so I was like, okay, I could do improv, because if you do improv, then you can play all the time. But improv is still very technical, there's something, and I was kind of like, It's you know you learn the craft and you and then clown came along and I was like this is a way that I can perform I can play with and for people without anyone having to give write me a role and give me a job and cast me it's like so if I strip it back to the basis how can I get on that stage and play with an audience Mm -hmm. without anything getting in my way Mm -hmm. and clown was that that was that answer I realized what it was that I liked about acting and it was. It was purely the the play because I'd done TV, and it's so confusing if you've done like TV and commercials, and everyone in your life is so excited for you, and is like, "Wow, you must be doing really well. You're on this and that and that." And I then you feed into that, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm excited." And I go, "But the work isn't fun. I don't enjoy that. There's, there's very little about that that's actually fun, yeah. because you're not with an audience. And for me, it's all about the audience. I mean, there are some people who obviously make you know a career out of acting on a film, but for me, it's like if you're not
1: playing with an audience, it's not." fun it's not fun is there an absurdist community yeah there definitely of is <laughs> like
2: yeah there's definitely an absurd community um in in Melbourne the others this it's, it's kind of a younger community that I've met here um and it's great there's some incredible performers yeah. coming I think Melbourne's going to be a really you know a hot spot for it but London is is still at the moment like where it's at most people who come out of golia even if they're not from the UK end up back in London doing stuff because yeah. it's just uh you can just be an idiot all the time and there's an audience for it. One of the difficulties here is there are great um sort of like uh variety nights. Yeah but it's still hard to pull a crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a very small you get the other performers and their friends in the audience and a few other people. But other than that, it's mostly um yeah it's 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 just a small
1: audience. And it's really hard to find with Clown kind of what works. It's if, a very unique skill yeah. to draw people in and get them on board. Yeah. And there's a lot of
2: you know, what, what I would call busting people's balls, you know, yeah. where you're kind of like you're trying something out as a clown. It's like trying jokes out and it's not working. And people yeah. are like, you know, at least if someone's trying jokes, you can see what they're trying. Mm. If yeah. someone's trying clown material and you don't really understand clown, you just think this person is wasting your time. Yeah, you know, What are they doing? They're doing nothing. They're playing with a sock. for but What they're trying to do <laughs> is they're trying to find they've got this idea. They're like there's something about this sock which is funny to them and they're trying to find out how this sock could be funny yeah. on stage. And people don't have a lot of patience for that. Sometimes
1: you would never be able to go to um, an open mic night, uh, open mic night, and do ten minutes. I I do,
2: but I tend to do stuff that I know. Yeah, yeah. like I do, and quite often I'll do a stand up night um, where I'm the only, you know, absurd comedic yeah. absurd act yeah. or you know weird, um, and people tend to love it. It's very yeah. rare that yeah. that I that I bomb at those because people are just kind of like, oh, And I think because my stuff is also a lot of it is written. Like if I do my Athena scene or something like that, it's yeah. very silly and playful, yeah. but there's also an intelligence to it. And I think a stand-up comedy audience, yeah. want they they like writing. They're yeah. there because, I mean, stand-up comedians are, are writers who also have the ability to present their writing yeah. in a humorous way. They're not clowns. Clowns are the opposite. Clowns are, you know, performers who are idiots. And so if I can, you know, weave in bits of my, my writing, yeah. if they see a structure, they go, oh, I see what they're doing, then it works. If I got up and did my pure clown stuff quite often i think no context yeah they'd be like what is this yeah no we want you know so it's yeah you got you got to just judge it well but i tend to do quite well at those nights i think because straight away i walk up there and i look different because i'm in a costume <laughs> and if they think i'm an idiot then that's really lovely
1: how do you fit into the stand up comedy world in in here in melbourne um i mean i don't tend to get a lot of a lot of gigs and stuff like that the, the stand up comedy people i get along
2: with really well i think yeah. but because i came into it already with a bit of a a reputation in the UK, yeah. so I didn't just turn up here and try and from the ground up. So I think people respected me straight away. I came in in my late 30s as someone who had a lot of experience yeah. and I had shows that had already done well.
1: You were someone um, they could rely on. Yeah, yeah.
2: Whereas I think uh, as for younger clowns coming up here, they're not necessarily accepted so much by that by that scene. Yeah. But um, but I get, I mean, I, yeah, I get along really well, and a lot of the, a lot of the comedians, especially at um, Comedy Republic this yeah. year, because it's the, like a hub for for stand-up, um, a lot of them came and saw the show and they love it because it's it's comedy that they can just not compare themselves to. Mm-hmm. I think a lot yeah. of when you go and see people who do what you do, you're not always comparing yourself but you're analysing what what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're analysing jokes and yeah. things but for, for stand-up comedians to come and see my show, there's nothing to analyse because yeah. it's like... You can just <laughs> transport yeah.
1: yourself into a whole different world. You yeah. don't have to think about the outside world at all. Yeah, It's... Absurdity is very hard to, to get right. I remember seeing Sam Simmons for the first time in Canberra and not enjoying it at all. Yeah. But then I saw him two years later. I'm like, oh, this is the best show I've ever seen. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's very hard to gain people's trust, I suppose, when you have no idea what the hell they're doing. And it's harder to accomplish if they're just. Because I saw Sam in a 10 minute period as part of a, a lineup and he bombed so hard. But like, <laughs> seeing him two years later, it was just transformative. I was like, oh, I'm so on board for what he's doing and what he's... (laughs) It's funny. It's like sometimes,
2: yeah, that kind of weird comedy can be a bit like having coffee or alcohol for the first time. You're like, oh, no. But then you then you go. Oh, but the effect was really nice. Yeah. So you go oh, because the taste is the taste is horrible. Yeah. No one goes. Oh yeah,
1: coffee tastes yeah, great. Yeah, I love beer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, That
2: felt really good. So you go, yeah. I
1: could I could have another place. Yeah. Have Have you ever had bombs? Or, um, yeah.
2: But no, I, I don't know. Like yeah,
1: of course I've had moments of bombing, but people aren't just getting it.
2: Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. There was there was somewhere that just the the environment wasn't right for it. You know, it's kind of like. Things went wrong with the tech and people were still very supportive of me, but it didn't feel I'd never been like booed off or like, you know, heck, I've never been heckled really. Yeah. Mm. I think the once I had once been heckled and I was so surprised. I just kind of said to them, I said, oh, I'm not a I'm not a, a standout, I don't do comedy. Um, so I'm not qualified to deal with heckles. <laughs> I said, but don't I don't want to discourage you from 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 saying things. So maybe just have the thought but in your head and then we can then we can just go on with the show and you can have a chuckle to yourself. <laughs> And then I just kind of went back to what I was doing, and they just shut up after that. They were like,
0: "Oh, he yeah. ac- actually just acknowledged me." It's <laughs> so like, "Holy shit!" And,
2: uh, yeah, the, I mean, the only one that that really kills a show is if someone is too drunk to um to realize that they're killing the show for everyone. They make it all about yeah. themselves. And, and I've had those moments where you kind of were like, "Oh yeah, no, you've had a bit of drinking, you know, just maybe just try and be quiet though." And then, <laughs> and then straight away they're back into it, back yeah. into it, and you are kind of like, "Oh, see, so you might have, you find a way to get
0: through it, but it's just like." They just kill it. Well, that's that's what they can do with the any anywhere or everywhere anywhere Yeah, anywhere and thing. Have you been in musicals? Um, yeah,
2: I did. I did um, Room on the Broom, which was a kids musical with puppets. Yeah, do it all
1: around Australia and big th- played the Sydney Opera House. What 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 I loved again about your show is you had a mix of musical numbers mm. sprinkled throughout the show. And uh, I'm a big musical theatre oh, really? and musical comedy fan, so I love I love that aspect of your show as well. Yeah. Heard you sing, like he's great. Is he? Has oh. he done musical theatre? <laughs> well, I have mean,
2: kind of do like Carrie When I was doing *Room on the Broom*, the, the, I was the bird and the dragon, and so. You know, I was singing. You know, I was singing as a character, so it's um, it's alright. But then I was the other other cast members were musical theater people, and I think you can really tell yeah. at that point. But it's funny you say that because I think Gary's such an idiot that if I do anything even slightly skillful, people think it's wonderful. Yeah, you know, like if I do circus, like really average circus, like he's such a good circus performer. But it's like because you you expect so little from me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. It's like yeah, he can't do that. Yeah. And right. and it just you just throw something at his like and it's boof. And it's yeah. a surprise, yeah, man. Well, uh, yeah, go on, go, no, on. No, go
1: on, go on. I was just performing naked night no. after night <laughs> after night. Yeah, how do you get? Was that nerve wracking when you did that for the first time? The very first time, I was nervous. The very yeah. first
2: time, it was in the rehearsal room, in this little theater in London with my director Cal, and we were kind of like trying to figure out how this mask scene developed. We're like, "What's the climax of the show?" And I put this mask on, and then the mask, and it was a. It's like a um, it's a trance mask, and so it's based on the Balinese, you know, tradition of um, of, uh, of mask performing, where the mask inhabits the performer. Yeah. And you're no longer responsible for what what you do. There's mm, all these stories wow, about, you know? yeah. And so this is based on that, but it's like a contemporary North American one. Um, and so, and i was putting it on. I was like, okay, this is the moment where Gary is got the better of. So Gary kind of succeeds inadvertently, you know, throughout the show. How can and we're like, well, this mask has got to get better. So the mask yeah. takes him over and yeah. humiliates him somehow before he can get it off again. How does Gary get humiliated? And we and we both kind of had the same thought at the same time. We're like, yeah. he, t- he gets in naked, doesn't he? We're like, yeah, I think it's got to be that. So I was like, yeah, I think that is right. That feels right. And so we didn't actually do it in rehearsals. It wasn't, you know, I was kind of like, it just felt weird. Because it was just me and this director, <laughs> you know. And we're like oh, he's like, oh, I'll just do it on the show. So the first night I remember putting the mask on and the mask takes me over and is like, what? and I was trying to figure out if I was a boy or a girl. The mask is kind of like all of a sudden in his body. So it's like feeling his hair and looking at his hands and then goes, pulls the pants <laughs> and goes, oh, it's a boy. <laughs> and then just takes the pants off. And goes, it's like, what? It's like, what? Yeah. Um, and that first moment I was nervous.
1: Yeah. But from that point on I've just
2: never thought about it. Oh, it's such
1: a vulnerable uh, position to be in as yeah. well, especially in front of. A room full of strangers. Yeah,
2: but it's it's helped me grow. Like I was really shy and about my body growing up, even if I was quite an outgoing person. You know, we were always a little bit shy about you know certain things. And I knew that I knew I had written on a list at some point that one point I want to get naked on stage. You know, it's kind of like I want to do this because it's like you know ripping off a band aid. Yeah. And, and now I feel totally fine and free and comfortable with my body, and it comes with
0: age as well. But. Did you say you had written down you want to get naked on stage? I had
2: a, written, a list of things <laughs> no. that I've always wanted to do on stage. No you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I worked with so there's this there's this amazing clown and teacher called Lucy Hopkins and, and she was saying like when you make your first clown show, make a list of all the things you've always wanted to do on stage yeah. and then find a reason to do them. And so that was another way that I, I was like, oh, I want to get naked. Uh, I want to walk on stilts. Um, I want to talk really fast. So I just made a list of like things I thought those would be cool, fun things to do yeah. on stage. And it sounds really silly. And then it's like, okay, so this is how I made that, that first show, which is different to the Greek mythology one. It's like I made a list of all the things I really want to do on stage all the skills that I think I have, which yeah. could be really mild, and then every genre of theater. I'm like, okay, how can Gary think that, you know, it was performing arts at that point. How can Gary think ballet is is it, you know, contains that? Yeah. So how can I throw all of the things I wanted to do, all the skills that I have into genres of theater? Which is great because then it's like when it comes to that moment, I have absolute joy to do it yeah like, oh, this is the bit where i get to do that thing yeah burlesque was me catching grapes in my mouth <laughs> i've never seen a burlesque <laughs> performance where you catch grapes in your mouth but it was like oh, i really want to try and catch things in my mouth so i'm quite good at that yeah it's, and so i made burlesque that mm-hmm. it's
1: limitless yeah yeah i love that yeah. <laughs> man
0: we had an amazing time at your show we had an amazing time having you here I think you're very. I was a bit nervous today. <laughs> Are we? You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. I thought I was going to pick on you. In the no, no, you. no. I just I've loved your show so much. Oh, and thank you. I've ever since seeing it, because we saw you in April, we started in January. I'm like, oh, we have to get Gary on. Yeah. Or Damien, we have to get Damien on. <laughs> oh, thank you.
2: <laughs> I'm glad we finally made it work. Well. We talked back yeah. and forth for a while. Yeah. I'm only down the road, but I'm just I'm always all over the place. So.
1: And you're heading heading off overseas soon as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I go to Sundays tomorrow, which will be nice. wow. But this is another one where it's like, you know, I'm doing one show, but we're going to go up there for the week anyway. Yeah. Um, And I really just have no idea who I'm going to be playing to. Yeah. You know, it's proserpine. It's in the, you know, I just don't know. And it's interesting because when you play somewhere like that, proserpine, and I post about it and no one tags their friends, I'm like, okay, so Mm. no one, there's no word of mouth going to be there. So who is going to be there? (laughs) People are not going to know who I am. Which I quite like.
0: What can you please tell people where they can find you first, and what's coming next in Melbourne? You know, we can have our listeners. Yeah, so it hasn't no.
2: been released yet, but it's, it's not one hundred percent certain. But it looks like I'm going to do Melbourne Fringe in October mm-hmm. for the whole month. Wow! So they're once again, I think for the second year, they're going to build a um uh, a hub down in the Queen Vic Markets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a Spiegel tent, yeah. and the vault, which is this big white yeah. dome, and I'm probably going to play the vault. Which would be a very different vibe to Comedy Republic. Because yeah. yeah. it's like a 350-seat wow. circus tent wow. as opposed to a hundred yeah. what 40 seats yeah. thrust yeah. black box room, really. Yeah. It's um, much
0: more intimate in Comedy Republic, you can it's just, Much more intimate.
2: Yeah. But it's something because I did I played the vault this time. This is yeah. the one I'm also doing in Sydney for all of September, the mm. Vault. So I'll be used to it by the time we get to Melbourne. And um, when there's a small crowd, it's not as enjoyable for me because mm. I'm not really I, I can't I can't gauge them as well. But their experience is no less. Because I because as I said to you, I always greet people on the way out. And the people felt they got as much, if not more, from, from the, that from being in a small crowd in a massive tent. So mm. once I can feel that, if I can fill it three hundred and fifty people, I think it's gonna lift the roof off the place. Yeah. What Whoa. show
1: are you performing at Fringe? Grease Lightning. Grease Light like, it is yeah. Grease Lightning. Come yeah on. we're mostly turning either Christmas way we'll be there man Seen we'll that definitely we'll be there. 100%. Seen a very
2: different and also a lot yeah. of the photos they took when i played the vault last time are the best ones because there's something about that space it's amazing yeah. lighting rig you can do more mm. with the um with the tech there as well you know they yeah. fill the they fill it with like um with haze and the lights are great and and you get people up on yeah. that stage and it's like you know they're like gods because it's they're up
1: there. Yeah. It's a big raised stage. I'm looking forward to that. 100%. Yeah. Seeing the next level of Grease Lightning, that's yeah. going to be interesting. <laughs> is it same or is it part two? Is
2: it? Would it be? Uh... Um, I'm, look, I'm going to start to adapt it more because at the moment it only plays under an hour because for a festival mm. environment, you only get an hour slot yeah. and I make a big mess and you've got to be able to set up and change over. <laughs> but we're looking to um, uh, adapt it to a more than 60-minute show to get it into bigger theatres because once we don't have to pack up quickly, we can have a set, we can have whatnot. So there might be a few new things in there. I've got some ideas yeah. of, of stuff that could get in, <laughs> um, which are things that I've had in the show in the past and took out because they didn't quite work, but I thought with a bigger budget and with a bigger set mm. could really work. So, But the goal is to get it onto like into the West End in London. So yeah. it's got to be at least a 70-minute show there. Oh, wow. Most things in the West End have an interval. Um but there are some shows where, like six is, is playing in the western. That's a seventy-minute show. So mm. I'd love, to, I'd, look, I I'd just love to do that. It's so silly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you'd have to be quick at cleaning up. As yeah. well every single night at the Comedy Republic.
2: Oh yeah, I was. I, I had a, a backpack vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so and I was still in my costume. They cleared the set, and I was there as Gary, who, <laughs> hoovering, hoovering the stage. Oh. With a with a vac and everyone all no.
1: This <laughs> should be part of the show. Well, after
2: me was the the lineup show, the late show. Yeah, so all yeah. these stand ups would be filtering in, and they'd all just be like videoing me <laughs> and tape, And I'll be like, "Don't you do this after your show?" Yeah. <laughs> Every
1: it keeps you, you know, it's
2: yeah. humility if you have to hoover the stage after
1: you perform. It, up, you know, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank oh, you so much for being oh, here today. I'm glad we made this work, yeah. and we look forward to seeing what you do in the future as well. But I'm looking forward to seeing grace Lightning in a massive 100% <laughs> And I think you're a
0: very, very, very intelligent, smart person plus creative. And when you combine those two, you make excellence. And that was your show. Um we wish you all the best. I hope you achieve things that you can't even imagine of. Thank you. And uh, we'd love to have you on, man.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. This has been great. us. This is a big show. Let's wrap this up then.
0: Thank you. Bye everybody.